This is the So You Talk to Cows podcast, a podcast for anyone who has ever been asked if they talk to cows, corn, or any other commodity. I'm Erica Earlbeck, a lifelong agricultural communicator. On each show, I interview someone who has made it their life's work to communicate to and advocate for our nation's farmers and ranchers. We learn new ways to communicate, classic techniques that always work, and we try to predict that next big thing for our industry. My guest on this podcast might actually do some talking to cows. Her name is Megan Foote. She is a graduate of our Texas Tech Agricultural Communications Program, and she and her husband Garrett own Foot Family Meats. It is a locally sourced beef business based out of Clovis, New Mexico. They have an online and a retail store located there in Clovis. Megan does all of their marketing and communications. And I asked her to be a a guest on this podcast to talk to us about uh, becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own business from scratch, sourcing a local agricultural product. And she shares with us her experience. So Megan, welcome to the podcast. Tell me about you. What is, what is your story? How did you get to where you are now and, uh, becoming an entrepreneur and owning your own business? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Megan foot and my husband Garrett and I own foot family meats in Clovis, New Mexico. Um, so we're not too far from Lubbock, just about an hour and 45 minutes West. Um, I am originally from Arizona, so I was born and raised in southeastern Arizona in a tiny little town, grew up 4-H, FFA, Judge Livestock, all of that, um, which then took me to junior college in eastern Oklahoma, where I judged livestock for a couple of years, met my husband there. We both ended up transferring to tech, um, and I got my undergraduate degree in agcom. Garrett studied animal science. Um, He ended up going to law school at Tech, and then I took a job right out of college with a crisis consulting firm, um, doing some work with Cargill and a couple of other ag-based clients is kind of why they brought me in, um, just for very junior level position coming in kind of um, as someone with more of an ag background than a lot of the corporate consultants, um, just to kind of liaison almost on a lot of those um, client with those client relationships that were more focused in the food and ag sector. Um, and the more I got involved in the company, I was able to, um, I became an account rep for Cargill, 
or an account executive for the Cargill account, um, started taking on other clients, eventually ended up sticking around there. I think I was there for five years um, post-grad. And so by the time I left, I was the VP of operations and client relations. So I kind of oversaw um, all of our client relationships. We, we did a lot of work in the crisis management space. Um, but we also did a lot of reputation management. So kind of helping big corporate companies or institutions, nonprofits, um, every now and then we would work on an individual basis with people who are doing, you know, political campaigns or things like that. Um, but just kind of working to bolster their reputations in the public eye. So that was a really neat experience because, um, you know, I got to work on the client side doing a lot of reputation and PR and marketing and comm stuff. Um, but the longer I was there, the deeper I got involved on the business side of things. And since it was a smaller startup, the firm that I was working for, um, you know, I got to wear a lot of different hats, which lended to, you know, all of the entrepreneurial experience that I was able to kind of grasp before we decided to branch off and start our own business. So um, did that for about five years. And then my husband was practicing as an attorney in Amarillo for about a year after he graduated from law school. Um, and his dad called him up and said, hey, you know, the cattle operation has been growing significantly over the last couple of years. And we're getting to the point where I'm going to either need to bring somebody else in or, you know, you need to decide if you want to come back and join the family business. Um, it's kind of, it's now, or you can come back later, but you'll have a smaller piece of the pie then basically. And so Garrett's, you know, his idea when he went into the, into law school was that eventually he was doing that. So eventually he could come back and kind of help his dad run the business. Um, we just kind of assumed it was going to be later on in life that that was going to happen, but happened quicker than we expected. So we decided that's where he knew he wanted to end up eventually anyways. So we moved back to New Mexico. Um, and then once we got here, we were kind of focused on trying to find some different opportunities to diversify our income outside of just what he was doing with his dad. So he was kind of going all in with helping his dad run the stalker cattle operation that we've got over here. Um, and so we were thinking, you know, we, we need to figure out ways that we can invest in different areas. So it's not all tied up in the cattle. Um, and we had kind of talked about, you know, what if we did the direct consumer thing um, with our own beef? And so this was pre COVID where there wasn't quite, there were people who were doing it. Um, but I would say it really hadn't taken off um, or grown in popularity as much as what it is now. I feel like, you know, every town you go to, there's people who are selling their own beef. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people selling it online, but I feel like a lot of that kind of happened after 2020. Um, and so this was pre COVID. We tossed around the idea and we thought, you know, that that might be something that we're interested in. We kind of brainstormed some things, but didn't, it didn't really take off until COVID hit. Um, and that was, that was about the time where I decided to leave my consulting job. And we thought there might be a real opportunity to kind of dive head first into this and see where it goes. So now you are uh, foot family meets. Um, tell, tell me about uh, some of the, the early getting off the ground. How, how did you make that work? Cause that's, that's a pretty scary leap to go from guaranteed income to not. <laughs> yeah. So so we knew, you know, it's funny because Garrett has always joked, even when we were in college, he, he would say the best time to go broke is before you're 30. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you've got time after that to kind of rebuild your wealth if things, if things go south. Um, so I'm a lot more conservative in that aspect, whereas he's like, why not? Let's take the risk. Let's do it. Let's try it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, we've got the, the cattle side of things to fall back on. Um, and so I waited, I'm not, I would say I'm not that much of a risk taker. I waited until we had things in line a little bit before I made the decision that, okay, we can take this somewhere. Um, so I was using a lot of my, my free time, um, while I was still at the firm that I was at, I was using weekends after hours, kind of working on building the website, getting everything together. We were already starting to kill cattle and get our own beef processed and pushing it out there without doing a ton of advertising, just to kind of see, you know, what opportunities were out there. Was there, you know, were people willing to pay a higher price for locally, locally raised product? Um, you know, and at the time during COVID, there was a lot of shortages in the grocery store and, you know, so people were kind of panic buying a little bit too. We were selling a lot of holes and halves and, and what we found was for, you know, every 10 calls that we got for people who were, um, you know, wanting to, or interested in stocking their freezer with a whole or a half beef, they, um, they maybe didn't understand how much weight that was going to be or what an investment that was going to be. Um, but they would have bought, you know, a box of steaks or a box of hamburger meat or 10, 15, 20 pounds at a time. And so we thought, you know, okay, this is kind of solidifying the fact that we know that there is, there's a market out there for this product and people who are willing to pay a little bit more to know exactly where it is that their food is coming from. And then also to have that option of higher quality products that they're not finding in the grocery store. Cause we're selling, we're pulling back top end cattle that we're running through the meat program. We're selling predominantly prime or high choice beef um, that's been dry aged anywhere from 14 to 30 days. Um, so we did a lot of kind of market testing a little bit there before, just to make sure that, you know, we weren't just dropping everything and diving in head first <laughs> entirely, um, without knowing whether or not it was going to work. So, so I had, there was a confidence level, I think, before we really made the decision of, okay, this is, this could be something, it could be its own business. And we need to make the decision of, is this just going to be kind of a part-time gig where we're doing it a little bit on the side, while I'm still working full-time, or is there an opportunity for us to actually take this and it become my full-time job? Um, and so we obviously didn't know at the time whether or not it was really going to work, but we had some confidence in it. And so we thought, you know, now is the best time to see if we can make it work. At that point, I had moved, when I moved from Amarillo, travel logistics for my old job became kind of difficult flying. Most of my clients were based on the East coast. So, you know, having to drop everything during a crisis and fly and meet a client in New York mm -hmm. became a lot more difficult living out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, so I think long-term, I knew that that probably wasn't going to work out with us being back here, um, on the farm. And so I knew that I was going to need to look for something at some point down the road. And so we figured now was a great time to go ahead and see if we could start, start something that was ours. So where do you, where do you all have your cattle processed is, do you all own that piece of your business or do you contract that out? We don't. So we contract that out. And that's something that I think the last time I came and spoke to one of your classes, one of the students had asked, you know, would you guys ever, um, build your own processing plan or buy a processing plant? Because that's, yeah. I think one of the biggest hurdles that 
people who are, you know, raising their own beef, you know, getting kill slots, the processing cost, all of that. Um, that's always kind of a, a headache and an obstacle for everyone. And I think at the time I was like, no, that's not really something we're interested in. Um, and since then we've gone back and forth and back and forth and looked at different opportunities. Um, I don't, that's not something that we, we don't have a processing plan. We don't have stake in a processing plant right now, but I would, I think now having been in it a little bit longer, I wouldn't say that that's something we would never do. Um, we're currently getting our stuff processed and we've, we've used a bunch of different processing plants all over West Texas and Eastern New Mexico and to central New Mexico. Um, but for us, as our business has grown, you know, we started killing five head for, you know, to sell in a month or so increased that slowly. And so now we're taking loads on a weekly basis of anywhere from 15 to 30 head. And that's just running through, um, which is a full fat load. And so that's just running through the fresh portion of our business on the, the counter in our store here in Clovis and not including frozen product that we sell online. Um, so with that, that has then kind of limited us on, you know, processing plants that have the capacity to be able to kill that much. Um, so we're using one right now at a Roswell called USA beef packing. Um, they'll dry age everything. They do a lot of stuff. They do things on a, they're a privately owned processing plant. Um, but they'll kill anywhere from 30 to 50 head a day. They, they do stuff for Cisco and whole foods. And so they're set up kind of a little bit better for our business. Um, we're no longer getting each individual steak cut and packaged. Um, now that we have the meat market open, they're cutting our beef into primals. So they're killing it at that facility, hanging it, dry aging it for us, breaking it down into primals. We, we then are paying less for our processing because they're, they're doing less for us. Um, we're getting these primals back and then my butchers are able to let them wet age a little bit longer. And then they're breaking them down based off of what our needs are in the store. So we have a lot less waste now. Um, our margins are better. It's that has been us having the meat market has solved a lot of problems that we had in the past. That's amazing. As perishable inventory goes. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've done, I, I've been watching you and, uh, cause I follow you on, on all the socials and you've done a great job with your marketing. Are you doing all that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. What, what's your strategy? So, and it's funny that you say that. Cause I mean, I got my degree in agcom, took a yeah. ton of classes with you, but I mean, beyond that afterwards, my, I was still my position at the company I was with before when we were doing consulting, you know, doing a lot of, um, social media and comms just for our, you know, small social channels and stuff like that for, for the firm that I was with, but not, not focused a ton on marketing and advertising and digital stuff um, until I left and then got back into this. And so that was a really fun for me to get back into design and building the website and, you know, coming up with creative content and stuff. But that's something I would say, I, I personally feel like I'm constantly struggling with, and especially as we've grown, because, you know, us being a small business, Garrett and I, you know, we weren't taking loans out. We were, we used the money that we had saved up to get this started. And so our goal from day one was how do we keep our overhead cost as low as possible um, while still operating at the scale that we need to. And one of those is we didn't hire employees for the first two and a half years. It wasn't oh. until this past November when we opened the deal that, it was a hundred percent me. Garrett handles everything on the live cattle side. 
we select which ones together, we make the decision on which cattle it is that we're going to funnel off into our finishing program. We pick which ones are ready, put them on a trailer, and then I was hauling them to the processor and then handling everything from there on out. Um, which was manageable when we were just online. Now with the store, there is so many more moving parts. Um, we have great employees now that are kind of able to handle a lot more of that, but I just find myself having less and less time to get to social media and engaging with people online. So that's a constant struggle. Um, I think we're finally getting to a point and it's been hard because I have that background and so much, I guess, of my own opinions on what I, what exactly I want that to be in our brand presence online and all of that. It's been hard for me to feel comfortable letting someone else take the reins. Um, we've tried it a few times, you know, paying people to do some different campaigns and things for us and, and it's worked, but they, I feel like we've never, they've never really hit the nail on the head. And that's hard when it's your own business, mm -hmm. especially when it's your own business and your name is on it too. <laughs> that makes things a little bit different. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's one of those things that I'm still trying to figure out the best way to juggle. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm really hitting the mark in that area just yet, but, uh, we've got some employees that are about to start full-time that are going to take some off of my plate, some things off my plate from the store. So it's going to allow me to get kind of back to my desk and, handle more on the business side and then focus a lot more on marketing and advertising this next quarter. Yeah. Well, I still think you're doing a good job, you know, and, and you're probably your own worst critic. So, yeah, but yeah, exactly. I, I think you're doing great with it. What would you say has been your greatest learning experience in, in all of this? I feel like I'm learning something new every single day. <laughs> you know, we don't, we went into this with very little, I mean, other than the fact that we raise cattle and we eat beef and like beef not having any experience or background on the actual meat side of things. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think what has set us apart from other people, other farmers and ranchers that would be in the same position, you know, that don't know as much on the meat science side of things is that with us going to tech, we had tons of friends in the judging programs um, that were livestock and meats that have now gone on and are working at different companies um, within the meat industry. So I think that's been super valuable for us. And I feel like I'm constantly sending people pictures and asking questions and calling. So I've learned a lot as far as the actual meat side of things goes. But from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I think it's what's been interesting is just how much it requires you to owning your own business requires you to be super flexible um, in order to grow. You have to be willing to kind of drop the guardrails. I think you, when starting your own business, you go in with like a really, I don't want to say clear vision because I think, you know, things are always changing, but there is a vision in your mind when you start your own business of what you want it to be. Um, and you know, when, when it's your business and you don't have a ton of employees or other stakeholders and things, sometimes you get tunnel vision and you're, you're headed in one direction. And so, um, what I've learned a lot in this last year is kind of stepping back and seeing, you know, listening more to customer feedback, um, you know, what, what are people engaging in, whether that's, you know, with our marketing stuff or what products are selling, what's working, what's not working just because, you know, sometimes you have to be willing to make a decision of this was the direction I really wanted to take the business this year. These are the products I really wanted to focus on. 
but this sells better or moving things in this matter works better than, you know, it might not have been what I originally wanted, but you've got to pay attention to what it is that's working. And so I think having the flexibility to pivot and, um, you know, be able to, to change course when you need to, I think that's really important, especially as you try to scale your business. Um, just getting, it's easy to get really comfortable in what you're doing and just kind of go through the motions. Mm -hmm. Um, but you'll start to get stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly. What tips would you give to a young entrepreneur? Tips I'd give to a young entrepreneur. I think as you know, when you're young and coming out of college, it's really important. If you think that you're wanting to go down the path of starting your own business, um, do whatever you can to get experience in as many different areas as possible. So, you know, I took advantage of as many different internship opportunities. And, you know, even if it's not exactly the path that you, or the career that you think you're going to be going into, there may be job positions or internships that are open that are going to expose you to more of the business side of things. Even if it's not an industry that you think that you're interested in, take, take, take it from, take the perspective of how much, what else can I gain out of this? Um, so for example, I have a girl that's working for me right now that's wanting to start her own business in real estate and she's working at a meat market, which the two are very different and don't, don't necessarily line up. But I think, you know, she's really loving it and getting a lot out of it because her thing is, is, you know, she's wanted to come in and learn from us on how to start up your own business. Um, you know what, you know, and she's asking all of the right questions of, you know, as things are happening throughout the day of, okay, why did you make that decision? Why did you price things that way? This went wrong and you approached it this way. Why? You know, so just um, taking advantage of all of the opportunities that are out there, I think is, is really important. Um, not being afraid to, there's a lot of value and experience, um, that's not to say, you know, go and work a really low paying job where you're, you know, putting more in than what you're getting out. But if you think that you're going to gain a valuable experience out of it, sometimes that's worth more than a huge salary. Awesome. Good. That's good advice. Um, I have a, I, I like to do this. It's, I call it the lightning round where I just ask some quick questions that have just a quick one word, one sentence answer to them. So, okay. um, yeah, and I kind of <laughs> fly by the seat of my pants on this one. Um, what is, uh, your, uh, favorite cut of beef to cook or eat? Uh, try tip. Okay. Very good. What's, what's been read... the best book you read lately? Oh, best book I've read. So this is a book I read several years ago and Garrett and I have reread it together, you know, every, almost every year now, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's a great one. I don't know if you've read it. Really great one. If, um, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, um, as far as building wealth and making decisions around business and financial investments and things like that. And it's really easy to follow too. Totally recommend it. Love it. Okay. Where, where's your favorite place to go on vacation? Favorite place to go on vacation, uh, seaside, Florida, seaside watercolor. Okay. What is your favorite social media site? Instagram. <laughs> yeah. 
mine too. Um, and then the last one, uh, what piece of advice do you wish you would have received when you were about to graduate with your undergraduate degree? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think when I was about to graduate, I remember there was a lot of negative connotation around like millennials job hopping. Mm. And I, everyone's spoke, you know, employers were always kind of speaking poorly of millennials that were coming out into the workforce of, you know, they came and worked six months or eight months or whatever. And so I, I love the job that I took right out of college. I, I gained a ton of experience out of it, but I had several other opportunities that popped up that may have taken me in different directions, um, or that I could have gained just as much experience from in different areas that would have benefited me, you know, where I'm at now. Um, but I was so worried about kind of not falling, falling into that rhetoric of, you know, being one of those millennials that was dropping around. And so I think just kind of going with your gut and doing what you feel, um, is right for you. Trusting your gut more, I guess, is kind of the, the overarching theme of what I'm trying to get to is, you know, not worrying so much about what is this going to look like on my resume or things like that. If you feel like, you know, there's an opportunity for you that, you know, maybe it doesn't pay as good, or maybe it's not going to look as great on paper, but if you feel like, there's a job opportunity with, you know, truly good people that you enjoy working around that you think it might lead into something else, you know, trust your gut and take advantage of those doors that open for you at different times. Thanks again, Megan, for joining us on the podcast. And if you would like to take a look at their website, it's Foot Family Meets and it's spelled F-O-O-T-E familymeets.com. And again, they have a retail store in Clovis, New Mexico. So if you live in the area, be sure to stop by and support them. And Megan, again, thank you for sharing your advice with us. So You Talk to Cows is produced by me, Erica Erlbeck, with production support from the Department of Agricultural Education and Communications at Texas Tech University. Follow me on Instagram at Erica underscore Erlbeck. That's E-R-I-C-A underscore I-R-L-B-E-C-K. For more information on careers in agricultural communications, find my department at depts.ttu.edu slash ag ed.